Welcome to the Beyond the Perimeter podcast. Podcast. The podcast where we discuss everything security. Each week, we cover the latest and biggest breaches to hit the news and talk to different security experts to learn about their experiences in the security industry. It's time for Beyond the Perimeter podcast with your host, Zev Brodsky. Welcome to episode five of the Beyond the Perimeter podcast, the podcast where we discuss everything security. If you're a first time listener, in each episode, we discuss the biggest breach in the past month and interview a different security expert to gain their insights and advice. In this episode, I'll discuss the Poshmark data breach and interview Avli Duglin from Bounce Security about application security risk. We'll end the episode with our security tip of the month. Now for the breach of the month. On August 1st, clothing marketplace Poshmark confirmed they've experienced a data breach. Poshmark is said to have some 50 million users. The looted data included customer full names, genders, cities, email addresses, linked social media profiles, and account passwords. Due to the breach, the company is telling users to be on guard against phishing emails, especially those that pretend to come from Poshmark. In a written statement, they are warning their customers by saying, be aware that Poshmark would not ask for personal information such as your logins or password in email communication. I interviewed Avi Duglin to learn more about his experience in application security and why companies should look into adopting application security programs internally. Avi Duglin is a prominent security architect and software developer which, with decades of experience leading development teams in building secure products and protecting complex systems. He has performed research on efficient security engineering, usable security, and scaling enterprise security system and has a keen understanding of enterprise security needs at the business level. Avi is a frequent trainer and speaker at industry conferences such as OWASP, RSA, B-Sides, and InfoSec and has trained hundreds of developers on security including secure coding, security architecture, threat modeling, and more. Avi is a leader of the OWASP Israel chapter, uh, chapter created the popular uh, AppSec Israel and Security Conference and is a co-founder and leader of the OWASP Threat Modeling Project. Avi, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Zev. Happy to join. So to get started, how did you first get introduced to application security and what drew you to it? So I actually kind of fell into it. Uh, I started my career doing uh, software development. And one part of it that always of the product that we're working on is like time clocks and uh, uh, salary calculations and things like that. And the security always seemed a bit dodgy. But whatever, you know, I'm a, a new programmer. What do I know about it? But then I got recruited to go work actually at the Israeli police as a developer of security software, security infrastructure uh, for all of the very sensitive systems, as I'm sure you can imagine. And while I was there, of course, we're developing security products. So I kind of, you know, things like identity management before that was even a thing and permission control and access control and all that stuff. And I kind of learned it from actually doing it because this was back before security was so popular. There were so many things and things like OWASP was barely starting. This was back in uh, uh, like uh, 2001, I think it was. So it kind of discovered all these things as, as we went on and kind of as the requirements came from, from the field and from the developers to, that had their own requirements and we don't know how to deal with these. And we kind of had to provide that as, as a solution. Uh, and from there, I got recruited into a security consulting company and, you know, I really went to school there. But I came in knowing uh, a lot about security requirements from the developer side. And so from there, I kind of found my home, so to speak, in application security and software security from there. 
Awesome. Just like you said, you were you were for the Israeli police. Comparing to those the days like where you you know very early on security and the different like solution and architecture, how have how has it changed like compared to today? Because it probably is like a night and day kind of uh, effect. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, the concept exists. You know, it, it's something that you can easily Google for and find a ton of, re- of uh, information, pretty much anything you want. A lot of that credit, I think, goes to uh, organizations like OWASP and others. You know, the OWASP mission is to make application security visible and to give all the stakeholders, programmers and QA and managers and architects and give everybody the tools and information that they need to make proper security decisions. And, and while I think, you know, OWASP has a long way to go at succeeding in that, they definitely made huge amounts of progress. Thinking back again to, to back then, you know, identity management wasn't even a thing. Security controls and uh, requirements barely even existed back then. You know, hackers knew about things like SQL injection, cross-site scripting since 1999, right? But that wasn't something that programmers knew about. It wasn't something that they dealt with. And very often, you know, oh, we require a password. That's it. You know, that we did our security and we're done. Nowadays, e- even at the most trivial organizations, that doesn't that doesn't pass. You know, yeah. there's a lot more uh, awareness, a lot more information out there. And the baseline is a lot higher. I mean, it's still pretty low, but it's a lot higher than it used to be. Would you say that? that security specifically in application security should be like kind of a shared responsibility between like the em- employer and the like developers or is it really should be 90% on the organization and you know hoping that the developer or the other employees would just like have a small amount of security of a mindset that, that's a really interesting question um and I, I would push that back to say okay who's who's responsible for the quality of software well Sure, it's the organization, and sure, you do expect a developer to be responsible for the quality of the code they put out, right? Uh, obviously, uh, you're not going to hire somebody to write code if they don't know how to write code. But the organization absolutely needs to support that. You need to have time for that. You need to have tooling. You need to have an education and process methodology. And it needs to really be treated, from my perspective, it needs to be treated exactly like like the quality of software. And it's one aspect of quality. You can't be an excellent programmer if you're not also doing security. It really comes down to, you know, how you're producing software. Wouldn't you say like a lot of times now the developers are really just like, okay, I want to get the code out and finish this application and not really thinking about the security sides. Wouldn't, which an organ, should organizations be thinking of more of like the DevSecOps side of things or is it really should be putting all the security on the the developers themselves that are actually writing the code i don't think it should all be on the developer side not at all but that it's it definitely needs to be one part of it just like look there are definitely organizations and there are developers that try as fat to push their code out as fast as possible and don't really care about bugs or passing tests or even if it really works you know if it compiles on my machine i'll I'll push the push it to GitHub, right? But you know, those are not mature organizations. That's not uh, uh, the type of thing we're talking about. On the other hand, it obviously can't fall all on the developer side because not all of software security is in code. And I really think that security just needs to be one other aspect of everything that everybody does. So you know, if DevOps folks are doing DevOps, then security needs to be part of that. Their pipeline needs to be secure, and if they're doing 
you know, unit testing and things like that, there also needs to be security unit testing. If an architect comes down with a set of requirements, at that point, there already needs to be security involved even before it gets to the developers. So really what I'm saying is that anybody that's involved in any part of the software development lifecycle needs to have some responsibility for security of their part. So you're saying is that pretty much like any, like you said, like any employee really has to have a, somewhat of a security mindset and thinking about, always thinking about security, no matter what part of the life, life cycle they're at. You know, I, I like the sound of that. Um, and that's kind of what I'm saying, except realistically, saying to non-security people, you need to have a security mindset and you need to always be thinking about security. Let's be honest, that's not their job. <laughs> their job is to push out features, right? Their job yeah. is to uh, get more eyeballs. So yeah. yes, they do need to have that security mindset, but you know, the think like a hacker doesn't work. What would an attacker do? That's not something you could expect for people who are used to putting out productive features to necessarily think about that without training. Even with training, it's hard to think about that. I'd rather think about what you're doing, you need to do right. Just like you need to think about, you know, if you're writing code or designing a feature, you need to think about performance and usability and maintenance and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. You also need to think about the security impact of those things, how those things will go wrong. So you're really saying it's kind of everyone working to their advantage, but having thinking about security in the background at what, like when they're when they're working but not really as a top priority for them that's what you well it, it really depends on context i mean if you're developing something that's uh, uh runs a hospital right or uh, manages a billion dollars in uh in resources then yeah security needs to be a much higher uh priority it's usually not unless you're developing a security product it's usually not going to be uh the number one priority the priority is usually to sell product or to get users or eyeballs or something. Something you are doing for some reason. You're trying to get some value, some business goal. And that, of course, has to be the number one priority. The security mindset part that we're talking about is really a question of, okay, so how do I do this right? And that's what it really needs to come down to. Thinking about how to do this right. Not necessarily thinking about all the possible attackers, but you do need to think about what do I need to do to ensure that this works? What I like to, to uh, a metaphor I like to use is uh, developing cars. Yeah, you like to have a, a more secure, a, a, a more comfortable car, a car that can go faster, right? A great sound system in your car. But you also need to make sure that the brakes work great and the crumple zone if you, the car gets into a crash and the seatbelts and all these things that you need to think about. And the interesting thing is when those safety features started going into cars, cars were able to go faster. Not necessarily because they had a faster engine, but because they had that safety net. And if you have that safety net and thinking about what do I need to do to get the car to go faster, sometimes the answer is put in brakes. That's the metaphor I like to use when it comes to developing secure, secure software. That is a really good metaphor. I think it's the, you know, really emphasize the idea of kind of like, once you know you have that, the security in the product and knowing that you you're, have the security in the background, is then you won't you can work better and work work more productive, not not thinking about the different risks that are involved. Yeah, I mean you're right. I was talking more about the product go yeah. faster. You're talking about the developer teams. That's yeah. that's both true. That's that's yeah. true as well. I, I like to think of it of it as uh, the way I propose it to developers when I talk to them about things like threat modeling, 
which is all about, you know, what can go wrong and what are we going to do about it? The way I like to show them is that, you know, they're building out, they're defining their user stories and they, in each user story, they have a happy path. And sometimes they also define the unhappy path, you know, what's supposed to happen and what is, should happen if things don't go right. And I say, you know what, you know, developers, I don't expect them to know all the possible attacks out there. I don't expect them to reverse engineer and know all the zero days and, and know all the yeah. possible attacks out there. What I, at the basic, just as a baseline, you're defining your happy path of your user story. You got to put up guardrails. That's really what it comes down to understanding your assumptions and validating them and putting in conditions in the code. And starting from that, you don't even need to think about from that, from the attacker mindset or anything like that. It's more kind of like defensive driving. I'm going back to uh, yeah. uh, uh, car metaphors. <laughs> uh, it's defensive programming. While you're driving down the highway, you don't just keep your hands at two and 10 and keep your eyes locked on the road in front of you. You need to have this situational awareness, right? About yeah. cars behind you and next to you and who's gonna serve in front of you and which crazy driver out there is gonna try and run you off the road. And when you're writing code, it's kind of the same thing. You need to have that same situational awareness and understanding what could possibly happen to your code if you don't explicitly prevent it. You brought up previously how like organ you know, companies and organizations, they are also it's a big it's a part of the shared responsibility. Would you say organizations now are more equipped with uh, application security programs? That's a really tough question. Uh, I find that there are, you know, you, you know, you have the uh, a, a typical uh, Pareto distribution, right? You have more and you have less, but I find that it's kind of a double hump distribution. There are two completely different types of organizations and you really can't correlate them. Some of the more mature, more responsible, more security minded organizations will will distribute across the graph uh, as you'd expect. And some of them are early in their journey and some of them don't have a full program and some of them do, some of them are more evolved. On the other hand, some that you would expect to be more evolved and have a full program don't necessarily, and they never will. And even if you try and push it into them, it will not succeed. And just too much heavy decades of legacy legacy of code, legacy of process, legacy of people sometimes uh, <laughs> that you that will never change. So breaking it down to, to your question, I would say it's a tough question because I think most companies are not where they should be. Many are on the right path. So you, yeah. would you say that maybe potentially startups are more like with the early adopter mindset than the, like you said, all these more traditional companies that have more like legacy, let's say they're using more legacy hardware or they're using, you know, they're, you know, you have to jump through lots of hoops to get things running. Um, do you think startups are more prepared for application, uh, application security programs than the old outdated like enterprise mindset? You know, you know, I, I, again, I, I would say, uh, I'd have to split that down. Um, a lot of, most startups are very focused on, uh, either revenue or more commonly the next round of, of, of financing, right? Focused on what they need to do to get the next uh, uh, venture capitalist involved to get the next uh, uh, next uh, round of funding. And usually security is not on that list. Unless you're very specifically in a security related field. Um, you, know, you know, if you're a financial startup, possibly, medtech, maybe. 
but most startups are not focused on that. And, and that goes back also to the investors as well. The VCs don't necessarily require that. Even if they do their technical due diligence, they don't necessarily have a whole long list of security requirements or expectations on that list, um, which is a shame really. And one of my uh, side gigs is I'm actually an advisor at a Startup Incubator the R-Crowds uh, Labzo2 incubator. And I see this firsthand. The only ones that really want to talk about security are the ones that are in the security field. The others, way too early. That's simply what a lot of them say. And, and, and I think it's right. I actually do have a model for not that early stage, but uh, young startups can integrate security in a very gradual, um, incremental way. And I do have a way to do this for, for early startups and only give them what they really need, what really matters so that when they get to the next next round or the next phase or the next uh, uh, step of growth to get more uh, customers, that's definitely something that, that does come into play. But the real question is what part of security, what security will give the most value? Because getting 100% secure, not only is there no such thing, it usually doesn't pay off. Yeah. I totally agree on that. For so, what kind of advice would you would you want to give to potential security teams when it comes to application security programs and then the risk that they need to be solving? Well, they need to understand that risk first of all, and, and that's something that a lot of companies, even with big security teams, don't necessarily re really understand the risk. But even more seldom than that is understanding the value that security can bring. Security isn't just marking the checkboxes and saying goodbye. Uh, it's like the brakes in the car that we were talking about, right? Yeah. Adding brakes lets the car go faster. Adding good security controls will let you generate more, more value and take more, uh, more risks in a controlled way. So being, having that concept and having that context and being able to do that helps a lot. Are there, there, are there any tools that you'd recommend for developer and, or security teams that have, really have in their toolbox when it comes to these risks that you, cut, that you just mentioned? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it, it's, I'm, I'm going to try to avoid mentioning any specific uh, vendors. No, no, you don't uh, need, no, no need to say vendors. <laughs> just maybe like kind of like certain kind of uh, tools and solutions to, like, that, you know, just, that you could use. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so as far as products go, there are some great uh, static analysis, static analysis products called SAST, um, static uh, analysis, uh, static application security testing, which basically is auto an automated way to scan your code. And these are great. And you got some tools which will monitor your dependencies and your components, you know, open source components, and tell you when there's a known vulnerability in one of the versions of the components that you're using. And usually most, most most products will have several dozen dependencies, external dependencies at least, and that's for a trivial application. Sometimes it could easily be hundreds or more. So there's, you know, so there's some great tools out there. I just saw one of the vendors came out with an open source uh, plugin for Visual Studio Code, which will monitor in code and will tell you if you just did a require a library, uh, it will tell you that this library actually has. Uh, has vulnerabilities you should upgrade or use a different uh, uh library or something like that and so that's like great and that, that would be like 
in in line code so right when you're, yeah. you're actually oh wow that's that's really cool. So that's a great thing. I mean, I mean, that's their product, right? Their product is is monitoring on the on the server side on the re repository, but you know, having that and putting that right in front of the developer's face as they put add in a library or as they uh, push a new version, I think that's fantastic. And that that's where I think a lot of the products will be going, getting it more integrated and less have this big scanning solution that will take up a server and let you know two weeks after you committed some code, hey, there was some problem back there. Uh, and getting it right there in the in the developer workflow, whether it's in IDE uh, or as part, of, you know, whether it's part of the editor or as part of a CI CD process, as you push a commit, it will run through the test and also throw out some security results. Either way, I think that's that's the way a lot of the tools are going. One of the most important tools that I tell all developers, you need to be doing threat modeling. You need to understand how your components, how your uh, interactions, how your data flows can break, how they will interact with other components. And most importantly, you need to understand how to fix that and prevent anything from going wrong. These are the guardrails that I was talking about. Yeah. So you said you were very like active in OWASP and, you, and you're a co-founder and leader of the OWASP threat modeling project. So what does that product exactly include? Uh, right now, not that much. Uh, there are a bunch of great product uh, projects out there. Uh, there's, as part of kind of a sub-project almost, is the uh, Threat Modeling Cookbook, which is starting to put out a whole bunch of uh, quote-unquote recipes, kind of like uh, threat patterns. So if you put in, uh, let's say, where I'm using a, a bunch of Docker microservices, then there's a set of threats that you need to consider and take care of, and you don't need to spend two days threat modeling this infrastructure and you have a set of common standard mitigations that you can use without having to consult with a security expert so all these things is is that's where we're headed to try and create that and, and flesh that out and is there any can you maybe tell us a little about to the listeners here about any other interesting and useful OWASP projects that you would recommend them to check out Oh, there's a lot of great projects, uh, depending on where you're coming from. Uh, first, I'll call out to OSP Zap. That's uh, an interactive proxy, which does a lot more than that. Not only does it monitor and intercept uh, any requests being sent between your browser and the server, it has a lot of dynamic attack uh, functions. So it kind of tests your, your web application as you're testing it. And it supports a great API so you can integrate this, and, and I know a lot of uh, QA teams and DevOps teams that have integrated this in automated tests. And yeah, you can definitely invest and get a great uh, uh, commercial product, uh, web scanners, you know, but this integrates better than some of the other products out there. And the Zap API is great. Uh, other than that, you get you have projects like ASVS, the Application Security Verification Standard, which is basically huge library of generic security requirements. It's more than that, but you can use it as just as a starting point of these are the security requirements that I need according to my level. Okay. And then, you know, at the highest end, the level three, you have like, a, I don't know, 260 different requirements, but at the lower end, you have a few dozen requirements that every application simply by being on the internet, you know, if I'm putting up a, a cat blog, I'll still need to have some security requirements out there. And you'll get that level one, easily testable, easy to implement, and, and you know, and it scales. Similar to that is also the SAM project. It's kind of a maturity model, which helps 
teams grow their process according to the level of maturity and know what, what the next activities they should be doing are. Is there a list where all these projects that, you know, people, people can find them easily? Oh yeah, absolutely. You go to os.org, click on projects, <laughs> you get the whole <laughs> library of projects oh. there. Another project that I really like, especially for people first starting uh, to discover this field of uh, application security is what's called the OS ju juice shop, which uh, I say is the best place to never, ever, ever buy juice online. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> a modern uh, web shop to buy juice, except that you never actually get the juice. What you do get is a whole bunch of built-in vulnerabilities, which are common for modern uh, applications. So it's great for exercising, for, for learning and for practicing different vulnerabilities and finding out how SQL injection works and how cross-site scripting works and dozens of others. It's one of the best to uh, capture the flag apps out there. Oh, nice. Well, Is there other, would you say there's other places online or that you say you recommend for like, I guess, newbies to who are looking to join the application security uh, field that they can really kind of learn really quickly? It's really the best place, uh, OWASP. They, uh, uh, last year they, we recently redid the whole website, so it's a lot easier to find information now. Uh, there's, uh, I think it was like 275 chapters throughout the world. So wherever wow. you are, odds are you could probably find a meetup near you. And you know what? Now, most people are not doing in-person meetups. I think uh, Taiwan and New Zealand might be doing in-person meetups. <laughs> Everybody else are doing virtual meetups. So find a, a meetup. It doesn't even need to be local anymore. And you, you can go to um, meetup.com slash OWASP and you find a chapter and you find somebody doing uh, meetups and it's virtual talks. Uh, everybody's remote now anyway. And you get some great talks. And like all the all the conferences went virtual. Was OWASP, like are any, are there conferences going to be moving virtual this coming year? Uh, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a painful question. <laughs> so for, first I'll, I'll point out, uh, oh, uh, global, uh, so AppSec, ha uh, OWASP has a few global AppSec conferences a year. The San Francisco conference, which I think is in beginning of October, just recently decided to go virtual. The Dublin conference in February will likely also be uh, virtual. I've been working on that one as well for a few months. It was already postponed. Um, on our side of the pond, we have uh, AppSec Israel, which will be virtual, but defi uh, designed that way. Uh, it will be at the end of October. October, if I remember correctly, it's 27th and 28th. And it's going to be a mix of hands-on technical workshop training targeted specifically for developers uh, and mostly uh, I wouldn't say newbie developers, but developers uh, are relatively uh, inexperienced with security. So we're going to be opening up uh, the call for, for presentations, the call for training for that. Uh, so I don't know exactly which ones we'll be at, but it will be a great set of workshops and trainings for, for developers. And on the, tw the second day, I think that's the 28th, We'll, of course, like every year, we're going to have a great set of uh, technical talks, security talks. And a lot of these talks go both uh, in both directions. So, you know, what's known as breaker and builder. Some of them are great for developers and architects and security champions. And a lot of the talks are great for, you know, higher end security experts, uh, pen testers and red teams and things like that. 
we're also looking at a lot of different ways. Uh, we haven't published everything yet, but a lot of different ways to create the uh, and try to recreate the same amazing vibe we everybody talks about at AppSec Israel. Uh, we're going to have some unconference sessions and we're going to have some more open-ended sessions, some more uh, uh, less formal sessions where everybody can participate. And we're going to have some interaction with it with the speakers as well. So I think it's going to be really great. Look that up. That's appsecil.org. A lot of the details will be there. Okay, Louis, you know, looking forward to that. Uh, to end the episode for you, where can listeners find your work and insights online? Uh, you could find me at uh, on Twitter at SecTigger. That's S-E-C underscore Tigger. Two Gs. Uh, I guess that would be the best place to find me. Uh, other than that, I you know, I'm very often all over the place. Another resource that you could find a lot of my writing is security.stackexchange.com. It's just like Stack Overflow. It's their sister site for security. That's security.stackexchange.com. And that's, you know, that's a great resource. I have a lot of posts there as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Avi, thanks so much for taking the time, really kind of digging into AppSec and your experience and really happy you had the time to join us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Now for a security tip of the month. Always keep your applications up to date. This is something that we're all guilty of at times. The can't be bothered syndrome is inherently present in almost all of us and often prevents us from updating applications that are dying to get new patches running. Don't hold off on important updates as they're often rolled out for the purpose of removing dangerous bugs from the application. Better to be safe than sorry. That's this month's episode of the Beyond the Perimeter podcast. Don't forget to join us next month for another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.